Well, Father, I pray that that, just in a nutshell, would be a reflection of our heart for you, knowing that it is without the name of Jesus that we have no power, we have no strength, but it's with the very name of Jesus that we are able to withstand all things, knowing that you have no rival, you have no equal, that your kingdom has been established and is continuing to be established, and that you will come back as we are looking at today, and you will establish your permanent kingdom here. And so, God, we pray that your name would be lifted up, that your glory would not be robbed from us, that we would not attempt in some way, shape, or form to usurp your authority or to reject or even neglect your calling, but God, that we would simply be obedient. And God, I think about just the words that we sang and how we can respond very simply knowing that you are there for us. And so God, I pray today that you speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. As you turn to Matthew chapter 24, I want to encourage you uh, just with what's going on. We've been going through our new or our sermon series called Vigilant. Uh, vigilant, being prepared for the end. And, and this idea is something you got to think about. A matter of fact, if you think about just really the words that we sung, and I'm, I'm going to stand by this, I'll continue to stand by this, that regardless of what goes on, regardless of your preferences, regardless of maybe what you grew up with or what you did or didn't do in church or what you did or didn't sing, we will stand and we will continue to always be a church that focuses on the words that we sing rather than in the tempo or rather than the fact of it, whether or not comes out of a book that sits in front of me in the pew or it was written after 1800, all right? We're going to sing songs that lift up the name of Jesus regardless. And look, I'm not, I'm not coming down on anybody. Nobody has ever, I have not ever heard one complaint from anybody here in church about the music we sing. So, um, I, I'm, so I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, we never want the glory to be on us. In other words, I don't want it to be about my preference. I don't want it to be about my idea of what should or shouldn't be saying. Matter of fact, you can ask my wife. I went to her one day and I said, hey, I don't like that song. And she goes, well, get over it. Because <laughs> I do and we're going to sing it. And I was like, well, I just don't think it's a good song. And she goes, I don't care if you like it or not. We're singing it. And I was like, I mean, I did everything in my power to be like, I don't want to do that song. And she said, I don't care. <laughs> so you can see that preferences from the pastor even are not the thing that we're going to let dictate uh, the direction we go. And so I want to encourage you with that uh, as we open. So Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verse 36. And as you turn there, I want to ask you this. How many of you grew up playing hide and go seek? We, we played it all the time, loved playing it. Matter of fact, one of the last time, I can, I say the last time I remember, I guess maybe I was getting older, but it was ninth grade, um, after baseball, growing up in Wyoming, after baseball, uh, you know, when you got to a certain age, of summertime and stuff, well, in Wyoming, it actually cooled down at night, all right? You know, summertime wasn't like 85 at night, it was like, it would drop into the 50s. And so one night we were playing hide and go seek and we would do it outside. We'd do it outside on our block in the neighborhood. We had some homes being built up the road so you can just imagine where you could hide in homes that are being framed out. I mean, and the, the whole block was like free for hide and seek, all right? And so we're hiding and, and I mean, like when we did it, we went pitch black, black sweatpants, black sweatshirt, whatever it was, we're, we're running around. Well, anyways, one night we're playing and we had a base area, we're playing and uh, I was hiding underneath a car. And everything was fine 
until the guy who was looking, my, my friend that was looking for me, saw me. And of course, now it's a race back to base. We had a base. There was just one base. I mean, you're playing a whole block, one base. And I go tearing across this yard. I'm running down the block, tearing across the yard, sprint, you know, ninth graders. We're running as fast as we can. And here comes a car. Can't see anything. You just see headlights. It's like 930, almost 10 o'clock at night, pitch black. Everything's going. And I mean, we go flying across in front of this car. And all of a sudden, and I mean, we're, we're still booking. We have no clue even who it is. And this guy opens the door. He's like, hey, get over here. And we're like, we're still running. And it's a police officer. And we're just, we're, we have no clue. We're just booking it. We're flying across there. We get the base. Boom. Yeah, I beat you. You got, yeah, I got you. He comes running after us. He's like, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, hey. Well, he flips out because lo and behold, we didn't know this, but in our neighborhood, there had been somebody had been graffitiing cars with spray paint. Now we're at my house because base was at my house. It was a section, just a small section of fence at my house. All right. And he starts going off. Your parents know you're out here. What are you doing? Are you guys the ones that spray paint cars? We're like, no. Yes, my parents know. Wait, what? But it's this idea that sometimes, all right, when you least expect it, something may happen. There may be somebody that shows up when you're least expecting it. As we jump into Scripture today, I want you to think about this. Because just as we did, I mean, we didn't even come close to getting hit. We didn't know it was a police officer. We're just running to play a game. But lo and behold, guess what? In the midst of our playing game, something happens. Something we never expected. Something we didn't even have planned for. But listen, it happened. This police officer shows up and he starts thinking, we're the ones who were spray painted cars. And we got the long story short. I had to go in and get my dad. My dad comes out. He's like, hey, we knew they were out here. We just got back from baseball. No way it could be our kids. They've only been playing 15 minutes. You know, and the officer completely was like, okay, cool. But I just had to check, you know. And, but long story short, we weren't expecting that kind of a, a response or reaction. We weren't expecting a police officer to be there. We weren't even really expecting what's going on. So if you have your Bibles, as we jump into this series, as we continue the series called Vigilant, we're going to be starting in verse 36. And it says this. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other will be Left, two women will be grinding with the handmill, and one will be taken, and the other left. And listen to what he says. Therefore, what? Keep watch. Remain vigilant. Stay on guard. Walk forward with expectation. There's this idea of what he's trying to say. You got to keep watch, because listen, you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night uh, of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be what? Ready, be prepared, you're ready to go because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. I hope you're getting a big thing here, a big picture idea that you aren't going to know the time. I am not going to know the time. 
Who then is the faithful? Who is the wise servant? Who uh, the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so here's the big picture. Here's what I want to get. Remember, we're talking about the Olivet Discourse. We're talking about the point where Jesus walks across from the temple. He's been with his disciples. They're asking him what the sign will be and how the end of the age is going to come about. And Jesus gives them these statements. As a matter of fact, they're going to be up on the screen. Do we have those statements up there, Pat? Pop these first statements up. The signs of the beginning and end. Jesus gives them some signs in the first part of chapter 24. We've covered them every week. Attempted deception. There were going to be a deception among uh, followers. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be international hostility. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. There's going to be a great persecution. And then number six, you'll see uh, as we go along, continue. Go ahead and flip that, Pat. Uh, number six is going to be internal strife. In other words, there's going to be conflict amongst the church. There's going to be where this point in time where the love of most will grow cold. And listen, that's just talking about the world. That's even talking about people within the church. Quote, unquote, I'm going to be very clear, quote, unquote, believers. That when the love of those people grow cold, you got to start to understand what's going on. Why? Because there's going to be a point where the internal strife and betrayal is going to come up. Brother's going to turn on brother. Remember what it says? There's going to be people who claim to be followers and they're going to turn people over to the authorities is is the idea, all right? And then those who stand firm to the end are going to be saved. The gospel is going to be preached. And then listen, number 10, we talked about last week or two weeks ago, the abomination that causes desolation, all right? At some point in time, there's going to be an individual who's going to rise to power. He's going to bring Israel and other countries to this point of peace. And after three and a half years, he's going to violate that thing. And he's going to then set up a, a worship of him. And basically, people are going to worship him. And so you begin to see this. And those are the signs. Jesus says, hey, here's the reality. Here's what's going to happen. And then last week, we said, look, when Jesus comes, those were the beginnings all right, those were the beginnings of the birth planes, but when Jesus comes, everybody's gonna know it. Why? Because all of creation is going to cry out. There's gonna be earthquakes. We talked about what's gonna happen with the moon and the sun and the stars and how all, in reality, all hell is gonna break loose. And then, Jesus says, look, then you will see off in the distance. And that's why I love one of the songs we just sang about, it talks about it. Off in the distance, you're going to see the light. You're going to see the sign of the Son of Man arriving in the sky. And just as lightning goes across the sky, you're going to know it. It's not going to be, well, hey, I think, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, hey. It's going to be, I knew it in a minute. Believers are going to know. Unbelievers aren't. They're going to question. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at that some today, but we're going to see what's going on. And I want you to think about this. Jesus, in a few days from being betrayed, in this statement here, he's a few days from being betrayed and his execution on the cross. And so Jesus has come down harshly on the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, and he begins to see or, or, or sense that he has signed his own death warrant. He knows it. He has, he has signed it. He's ready to go. But Jesus' second coming, listen, is going to follow these general signs that we talked about. 
And then he's going to show himself. But we have to begin to see this. Even in the midst of all these signs, and this is why we have struggles and problems with guys who want to predict when Jesus is coming back. Because they look and go, hey, look, hey, that kind of matches up here. And that, a matter of fact, if you go back and look at, at, at World War II, there were a number of people who thought Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. You look at what happened, you look at the amount of countries, the wars and rumors and wars, there was the international hostility, there was brothers turning on other brothers, and if you don't believe me, you need to read the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because you realize that some of the greatest Christian theologians came out of what country? Anybody want to know? Germany. Matter of fact, if you go on and get your PhD in any sort of religious studies, you have to know German to be able to read the German theologians so that you can understand what's going on. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany who started calling out other brothers and other believers because of their racist viewpoints, because of this Aryan nation rise up type mentality. He starts calling them up and saying, that's not Christ-like. That's not what Jesus called you to do. And do you know what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was shot and killed. He stood against Nazi regime and he stood up against other brothers who were preaching an anti-gospel and those brothers turned on him, quote unquote brothers. Those religious leaders who were pastors of that time. Matter of fact, we're gonna have a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote here in just a little bit, but I want you to understand this, that we as believers, believers in general, believers and followers of Christ must pay attention to God's word and know God's word in order to successfully be prepared, in order to be vigilant in my life, to be vigilant in the state that he's called me to, I have to be prepared. So I've got to know God's word. I've got to follow God's word. I've got to be obedient to God's word. And so we want to stay vigilant as believers. And we're going to jump into chapter 25 beginning next week and talk about really our responsibilities and things like that. But here's today's statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. We must, this is not a we can, it's a we must remain on high alert for Jesus coming back. We must remain on high alert for Jesus coming back. And so here's the question today. What will the coming of Jesus be like? What's it going to be like? How's it going to work out? We talked a little bit about it last week, but we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth this week on a number of things. Number one is this. It will be an unknown time. It'll be an unknown time. I don't know if you and anybody notice it. If you like to highlight, it says no one in verse 36. No one knows about the day or our, not even the angels in heaven, nor the what? Nor the sun, okay? Now, we're gonna, we're gonna jump in here and just answer this, but I want you to think about this. Every generation has thought, this is it. It's the end times. It's over. It can't get any worse. The world's going to hell. We're all seeing the, the decay of society. We're seeing the breakdown of moral functioning within the family. We're seeing the breakdown of morality as well in, in culture and things like that. Every generation has thought that. And listen, I don't think that's any reason not to think that. A good Christian, a Christian who is understanding the truth of God's word should live like that, that every day could be the last day. Every hour could be the last hour because I don't know the day or the hour. And so we live with that anticipation that all, listen, all throughout history, people have been trying to predict the end times. All throughout history. 
They've been trying to predict end times. Matter of fact, as I was reading it, there was a, 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 an early Christian father who predicted that Jesus would come back in AD 500. And there was another guy, another religious leader, that it would be like 1189 was when Jesus would come back. Then there was one in the 1500s, Jesus is coming back. And then there's one in the 1800s and 1900s. And recently, one of the major ones that I saw was a guy in 1990 predicted it. And because it didn't happen in 90, he changed it to 93. And then he changed it to 94. And then he changed it to 95. And I don't know if he died at that point or what, but he stopped. And I sometimes think Jesus is up there going, dude, you got, it. you got to be kidding me. I'm going to mess with you just because you predicted it. So listen to me. If you go to a church and the pastor stands up and goes, I'm going to predict the date and time. I'm telling you, you better run for the hills. <laughs> just plug your ears, walk out later and be like, dude, I'm never going back to that church again because it's not going to happen. All right. It's not for us to try and determine the day or the hour of Jesus coming, but rather to be prepared for Jesus' coming. See, I think one of the biggest struggles we have is because of so many false ideas or false teachings with with people like that is the, the reality is most people begin to doubt everything as a result. When if you lived by the truth of God's word and said, look, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know when it's going to happen. All we know is this is what the Bible says. And listen, we can get an idea from the signs that the return of Jesus will be soon, but we also can't put a timestamp on it. As a matter of fact, if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, anybody know what it says? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That means 2,000 years ago to God is really like two days to him. Why? Because God operates outside the sense of time in which humanity operates. We think, man, good night, a thousand years. How long are you going to wait, God? I mean, heck, if you were to put the time stamp on here and just go from zero to 2,000 right there, well, to Jesus, that's nothing. God's like, that's no big deal. I've been around for all of eternity. I'm going to be around for all of eternity. What's 2,000 years? You're trying to put a human aspect to God. And God says, I'm above and beyond all humanity, all human thought process and everything else. So our Lord's point or Jesus' point is really this, to be ready all the time. All the time to be ready. One of the, one of the, the things that i dealing with our, our, our boys' baseball team and some of the boys right now with being 12 years old, um, We'll say things like this. Well, outfield's boring. Ball's not hit to me as much. Oh, yeah? Well, you got to be ready at all times because the minute you sit there and, and give up, you know, we always, we always say this in baseball. Baseball always tells on the weakest link. No matter where you try and hide the weakest baseball player, baseball always tells on it. So every baseball player has to be ready at all times to make a play. I mean, it's just a simple thing. And that's the reality of what Christianity has to understand. We have to be ready at all times so that we will be expectant of the return of Jesus. So I'm going to read you this quote about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. At the height of World War II, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for taking a stand against Hitler. Yet he continued to urge his fellow believers to resist Nazi tyranny. And a group of Christians believing that Hitler was the Antichrist asked Bonhoeffer, why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Jesus is going to return it any day and all your work and suffering will be for nothing. Now listen to what Bonhoeffer says. If Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow 
I'll rest from my labor. But today I have work to do and I must continue the struggle until it is finished. That's the reality of what's going on. Why? Because the day and the time and the hour is unknown. So in every waking moment, I live my life knowing that if tomorrow is the day Jesus comes, then I continue working until Jesus comes back. Why? Because then I am done. But until then, I am not. And so we work knowing, not trying to earn salvation, but being obedient to what God has called us to do. Why? Because we don't know what generation it will be when Jesus comes back. It could be this generation. It could be next generation. For all we know, it could be another 2,000 years. And if you throw that on there and think about 2,000 years, I'm starting to go, oh my gosh. I look at 14 and go, good grief, that went quick. Jesus goes, well, 14, man, what's 14, you know? A thousand's like a day to me, so what's 14 years? We don't know the time. We don't know the date. We don't know the hour. We don't know how bad it's going to be. It said it was going to be bad. The Holocaust of all Holocausts is the thing that the world had never seen before. If you read earlier in Matthew chapter 24. And so how can Jesus, who is omniscient in this, Stand back and say he doesn't know. Listen to what he says. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the what? Son. Okay? So how is Jesus, who is all omniscient, all knowing, all powerful, 100% God, yet 100% man, not know the day or the hour? And here's, here's what I believe, and here's what I would see, is that this, that Christ was speaking, Jesus was speaking from the vantage point of his human nature. And not from his standpoint of his divine omniscience. See, Jesus' knowledge in the incarnation, Jesus' knowledge in the incarnation was only really qualified by what the Father revealed to him. So when Jesus came down, 100% God, 100% man, then the only way anything was revealed or what was revealed to Jesus was through what? His relationship with the Father, through time in the Word, through experiences and what's going on, and through whatever God revealed to him. And so here's the idea that Jesus, even though he's being all omniscient, all powerful, in the midst of his humanity, his incarnation, when he says, look, not even the son knows the hour, why does the son not know the hour at that time? Because Jesus had not revealed it to him. It's not any way, shape, or form that it took away his omniscience, but that the father had not revealed it to him at that time. Listen to me, here's what I also believe too. That when Jesus, if you remember in the scripture, it says that Jesus grew in the wisdom and stature. Remember that? If Jesus was all, all, all omniscient at the point or all, all knowing, then he wouldn't have had to have grown in wisdom and stature. But it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man from the human, human standpoint as a child. And so he limited his knowledge to only what the father revealed to him. And so I believe this, that after the resurrection, after the resurrection, that it was revealed to him and he has not revealed it to the rest of us, right? Because there's nowhere in scripture that says, hey, look, I've changed my mind. I'm gonna tell you the date and the time, the hour you're gonna know. I'm just giving you the signs. Look, when these signs start to show up, you better expect it. Be ready, be vigilant, be prepared. Why? Because people don't know. And listen to what he says again. No one knows about the day or hour, not the angels in heaven and not the sun. Now, I believe wholeheartedly right now that Jesus' son knows right now. Why? Because him and the father are one now. 
Jesus has returned to heaven. He's waiting for the Father to say go. He knows the day. He knows the time. He knows the hour now because he has ascended back to the Father and they are one. But when he was down here, when he gives this statement, no one knows, not even the Son at this point, it was because it had not been revealed to him by the Father at that point. You have to understand the balance between divinity and humanity. And Jesus had basically removed that from himself in order to show that, look, he partnered with us. Remember, it says that we have a high priest who went through the same things we went through. Do you understand that? He dealt with the same struggles. He faced the same temptations, yet there was no sin in him. So you have to understand, it's going to be an unknown time that the omniscient God is still omniscient and he is all powerful as well. So we understand that. It will be an unknown time. What will the coming of Jesus be like? Number two, it will be a day of wickedness. Listen to what happens. It says, people were enjoying the normal pursuits of life. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Do you understand what's going on here? Jesus is tying everything in to the flood aspect. Just as what was going on before the flood is the exact same thing that's going on. Look, people were walking through life. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage. They were working. They were profiting. They were planting. They were reaping. They were doing all of those things. And Noah comes crying out saying, look, you've got to understand. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. You've got to save yourselves. Put your faith and trust in God. And what did all the people say? Dude, you're crazy, bro. Noah starts building an ark out in the desert. I mean, it's not like he built it on the edge of the ocean. He starts building an ark out in the desert and telling everybody, look, I'm telling you, the judgment of God is coming. And what happens? Oh, everybody's like, you're crazy. Look at that old loony bin. Anybody have the crazy guy in the neighborhood? We, we had one, two doors down when I was growing up. He absolutely hated us. Any ball went in his backyard. Like, like we would always, <laughs> I'm gonna make this sound bad. We would, we would team up. He didn't have a dog or anything, so it was good. But we would team up and one of us would go to the doorbell and we'd just take the licking because we knew he was going to come out yelling and screaming. Always. Didn't matter. You're talking 10-year-old boys. Nine, 10-year-old boys. So one would go to the doorbell and ring the doorbell because we knew then it would get him away from the back window. And we'd, hey, hey, can we get our baseball? No, you can't get your baseball. Well, when one rang the doorbell, the other one jumped the fence. <laughs> so we figured out how to get our baseball back. But that's, that's the reality of what is literally taking place. It's going to be a day of wickedness. All right? It's not going to be a preparation. People were enjoying the normal pursuits of life. They were no awareness towards the judgment. They didn't really care. But listen to what he says, and he goes on. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Do you understand what's going on? There's going to be a point in time where people are going to literally look back. As a matter of fact, you're even seeing it now. People are like, well, the, the flood, did it really happen? No way it happened. And so now the scoffing idea begins to happen. Because here's what happens. Well, if Jesus come back, why hasn't he come back yet? Anybody ever have any say, anybody say that to you? Well, if he's really coming back, how come he hasn't come back? I mean, look at the atrocities of the world. Look at what's going on. Look at how everything is going downhill. Look at morality. Look at what's going on in culture. Look at, look at everything's going on. There's no way Jesus is coming back. You see the scoffing that begins to take place. 
It's no different than the time that Noah was there. Noah's building this ark. Everybody's making fun of him. Look, you're building an ark in the desert. There's no water even close to you. And lo and behold, guess what happens? So listen, being prepared because we don't know the hour is the idea that we're prepared for what's going to happen when it happens. Because just as Noah predicted that it was going to rain, it was going to flood, it was going to wipe out the people who faced the judgment. Jesus, it says this, and this is the problem you have to begin to understand. When Jesus comes back, he separates out the good from the bad. He separates out those from, who followed him and those who haven't. And listen, as much as people don't want to talk about judgment, and you know as well as I do that there are times where it, it's, it's painful as a pastor to talk about this judgment aspect. That is exactly what's taking place. That's what he's talking about. There's going to be a point in time. Listen to what he says. Two men will be left in the field, or two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. So listen, there's going to be those who lust after the desires of the heart. They're going to go after the things of the world. And in the midst of sin, listen, this is one of the things I begin to see. In the midst of sin, in the midst of a broken, chaotic, hurting world, listen, rather than to cry out to Jesus for salvation, people now cry out to God in anger. Well, where is God? Do you see the role of what's taking place in society today? See, in the midst of everything that we face, whether it's the, the, the shooting in Texas or whatnot, I've had people say to me over and over, how, do you, how can you tell me you believe in a God when, when, they allow, when God would allow something like what happens in Texas take place? Or what happened in Florida a couple months ago? Listen to me, in the midst of wicked man, when we see sin played out throughout Scripture, is this. Sin should point us to the need for Jesus not allow sin to take us the other way and cry out to God in anger. See, most people want to cry out to God and go, I'm not going to believe in a person who allows this to go on when Jesus says, the reason this is going on is because you don't have me. You don't allow me in. Now, does that mean that bad things don't happen to good people? No. What it does mean that when I face the difficulties and struggles, When I see the bad things happen, it should push me and drive me to my knees because I am in front of my maker. Never allow the wickedness of the world to drive you away from God. It should only drive you closer to God. That's the reality of what takes place in Scripture. Jesus lays that out for us. And so listen, it's going to be a day of wickedness. There's going to be wickedness and we're going to see it over and over and over again. And that's what's going to happen. But it's also going to be that day of judgment. Because those who don't believe are going to be separated out. All you have to do is read to the end of this chapter. So number three, what's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? It will be a day of gathering. All right? Outwardly, listen, all these people we talked about in verse 40 and following, two men in the field, one will be taken, one left, two women, one grinding in the hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Listen, outwardly, these people were the same, but inwardly, they were different. You see the picture of what takes place? Matter of fact, if you remember when, when God selected David to be king, as he's selecting David, he goes through all the sons, and everybody's like, oh, I mean, look at David. I mean, kind of 
come on, look at David. And God says, I don't look at the outside, I look at the inside. I look at the heart. I look at the heart of the individual. And so when we talks about literally it being a day of gathering, it's this idea of being a day of gathering. Why? Because God's looking at the heart of the individuals. He's looking at the stance that they have taken. And so it will be a day of gathering. There is something internally different. As a matter of fact, if you read John 3, 16, a lot of you hear that, but I want you to follow along. Listen to what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So that in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So listen, when it talks about a day of gathering, it's not a idea of closed-minded arrogance. It's a day of lack of belief or belief. And the standard is set up that way. It's only something that we can hold to because that's the way God's word lays it out. That's the way the Bible lays it out. And so here's the last thing when we talk about what it's gonna be like. It will be a day where we must remain vigilant. Look at verse 42. Therefore keep what? We already said it. Keep what? Watch. Be expectant. Be vigilant. Matter of fact, I started talking about standing watch in the Navy last week. But one of the things we talked about was Always being vigilant when you're on watch. Don't ever take anything for granted. Investigate everything. Find out what's going on. When you're talking about the security of a ship, you had to find out what's going on. You had to be vigilant. And if you failed at that vigilance, I mean, at least for us, it was captain's mast. You were going to be brought up before the captain. You're probably going to be put on restriction. You may get docked pay. You may get knocked down a pay grade. You may be even kicked out of the Navy. It just depended on what you did, especially watch. Watch was a huge deal. And so listen, he says, we've got to remain vigilant. Therefore, keep watch. Why? Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. All right? And then listen, he says this. Understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house been broken into. Do you get that big picture? If you were at your house, you knew a thief was coming you might set up something like, I don't know, maybe home alone. You might have all kinds of things planned up, like I'm gonna mess with this dude. This guy's gonna realize he's never gonna mess with my house again. Like I would try and figure out some way to like electrify my house so like the minute he touched the door, be like, <laughs> I mean, I have some fun while you're messing with him, right? I don't I don't know. But but listen, he says, if you're prepared for the thief, you're not caught off guard. And in the same way, if you're prepared for Jesus coming you're not caught off guard. You're ready. Why? Because we know Jesus is going to come back. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour. We have been given signs. And if you look all throughout history, those signs in some way, shape, or form have been fulfilled throughout. But Jesus in the chap- in chapter 24 said, look, in verse 21, for there will be even greater distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. So we don't know how bad it's going to be. He just says, look, it's going to be bad. And you better be prepared. You better be vigilant. You stay on guard. You be ready. You be prepared. Be vigilant. I always think about this. When, when we were in the military, we had different... Matter of fact, you might, if you watch news every now and then, you'll hear things like this. We are at... Nation is at DEFCON 4. 
DEFCON 3. Anybody, maybe you have to watch more movies like I watch than, I don't know. But DEFCON is the defense readiness condition. You guys understand that? Military guys understand it. But defense readiness condition. DEFCON 1 is bad. I'll just tell you that. DEFCON 1 literally by their standards means nuclear war is imminent, period. So if you ever hear us go DEFCON 1, it's, it, you might figure that's probably the end of the world. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. DEFCON 1, bad. DEFCON 5 is like pretty much relaxed. We're at a time of peace. There's no major things, no major problems. Matter of fact, I'm going to read these off just to let you know what's going on. At DEFCON 3, the Air Force has to be on 15-minute notice. In other words, they have to be ready to respond within 15 minutes. DEFCON 2 means all military personnel have to be ready to respond in less than six hours to go wherever they got to go. Less than six hours, okay? The last time we were at DEFCON 2 was the first, uh, the, the first Gulf War, all right? That was the last time we were at DEFCON 2, at least according to what I, I, I reviewed recently and found online. That was the last time we were at DEFCON 2, okay? Which just meant basically at DEFCON 2, Everybody's got to be ready. All military personnel ready to respond within less than six hours. Last time. But listen, if we are to keep alert, we as Christians should always be at DEFCON 1. Why? Because Jesus' return is imminent. It's just a matter of time. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. We just know it's going to happen. We know that's the point in time where he's going to be. And listen to what he says. I want to wrap up with this. It basically says this. It's going to be like an ordinary day. But the time will not be expected. So we can know the signs of the times, but we still don't know the exact time. So we must remain alert. And listen to what he says. Therefore, keep watch. So I remain alert in verse 42. I must keep ready. Look at verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then number 40 or number uh, three under that in verse 45, I must remain faithful. I remain faithful to the gospel. I remain faithful to God's calling. Why? Because the Lord is looking for his servants to be faithfully carrying out his will, his desire, his goals in everything that goes on. And so that's where we're going to be jumping the next three weeks is this idea of remaining faithful in the midst of Jesus' second coming, remaining vigilant in doing what I've been called to do. Don't be a Christian who comes in and just sits in the church and is like, oh, good, hey, great, and then don't go out and not attempt to reach your friends or go out and, and not attempt to do things. Listen, being a part of the church, being a part of the bride of Christ, being a part of what Jesus called you to do is to be vigilant. And vigilance means that I prepare other people for that coming as well. Why? Because if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says he is slow, he is patiently waiting. He doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to believe. Now, are all going to believe? No, but Jesus is patiently waiting. He knows the time. He knows the hour. The Father has now revealed it to him, I believe, because he's sitting there waiting. Him and the Father are one. They've communicated. They're up there. They're waiting. He's waiting patiently, not wanting any to perish. And listen, it's the role of the church to carry that out, to carry out the mission when Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, look, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age.
And so as the next three weeks, we're going to wrap up in three weeks. We've got three weeks of vigilance left or vigilant left. We're going to look at how we remain faithful to God's calling, to God's priority in our lives each and every day. Let's pray. Well, God, we know without a doubt that you are sending your son back. Now, with a great trumpet blast that you will make it evident that Jesus is returning. But God, we also admit in the midst of our humanity, sometimes we try to know more. We try to understand more. And so sometimes people have tried to predict the exact time or date or hour. And God, I thank you for the grace and mercy that you continue to show, knowing that you are patient, not wanting any to perish. And so God, I pray, number one, that if there's somebody here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ, they've never believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that Jesus offers them forgiveness, that we can repent and be forgiven, that we can turn from our our wicked ways and we can follow him, and that he offers us life and life more abundantly as a result of his resurrection from the dead. So God, I pray just as we close with this song, maybe if if there's a person here who hasn't believed, that they could just simply where they're at believe that Jesus died on the cross, admit he rose again, they could be saved. And so God, I pray that you would deal with their heart. Lord, I also know today that maybe there are some Christians who kind of taken the back seat. Maybe they haven't remained vigilant, being prepared. God, I know that sometimes we can become calloused. Um, We can take things for granted, and so we just continue to walk through the motions of life. God, may we be people May our church be a church that's a city on a hill. May we be a church that is a beacon for those who are walking in darkness. And God, may we understand what it means to be ready, to keep alert, to be vigilant, to be expecting your second coming. And as a result, God, may we be obedient to what you've called us to do. And so, Father, as we close with this song, we pray that you would deal with us, you would deal with our hearts, that you would convict us, that your spirit would move freely then you would lead us in the right direction. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.